Speaking of value, I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 7, verse 36, as you remain standing. I'll read this passage of Scripture. I usually don't like taking a lot of Scriptures, but I need to tell you the story because I'm not going to be preaching three-point message. I'm going to be sharing with you a story this morning. And the story is of, of this woman. The Bible says in verse 36 that the one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And when he went to the Pharisee's house, this is Jesus, he was asked to eat at one of the Pharisee's house. He sat down to eat and behold a woman in the city who was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at the feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who he had visited saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this is Simon the Pharisee, this is what he says, this man, if he were a prophet, would he know whom and what manner of woman this is who is touching him? For she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to them, Simon, I have something to say to you. I like it. Jesus has got a little Stockton attitude. I got something to say to you, mijo. That's how I'd say it. No, I'm not going to go there. But it goes on to, he says, I have something to say to you. And verse 48 tells us, he says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Is it, therefore, is it verse uh, 46, excuse me. It says, if her sins were much, were many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And what Jesus is saying He's saying to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to talk to you this morning about taking the step. This woman does something that nobody would have thought of. She took a step to the feet of Jesus and her life was forever changed. And when you take that step to make your dreams a reality, your life will never be the same. Shall we pray? Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. We trust you to accomplish only what you can do. Let every word that Joey says fall to the ground and every word that comes forth from you, let it penetrate and change us, our lives forever. In Jesus' name and all God's men and women said, amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're really good looking, I promise. And go ahead and do that. Turn to the neighbor on the other side and say, you're okay. You're okay. (laughs) That's easy. Now, there were certain things. Now, I need you to get mentally riveted of what I'm going to share with you this morning because this is a story. Again, this is not a three-point message that you hear people preach. This is a story. So you got to lean into how I'm going to share this story so you don't miss the message because the message is the story. There's a certain thing that happens in the first century. There was a custom that you had to know if this story is going to be real to you, that they had certain things that they they needed to do when you would throw a dinner. Certain things in the higher echelon of people, such as a Pharisee, he was a higher class type of person in those days, uh, a priest, if you will, excuse me, 
if you were throwing a dinner, there were certain things that you had to do, certain things that were custom that you must do if someone was to come like Jesus. If you invite Jesus and people like Jesus, there was culture. There was things that you're supposed to do that Simon the Pharisee, he just didn't do. One of the things that would take place in that time that people would sit around the table who were invited and they would begin to partake in the dinner together. If, if you would, they would call them box seats, reserve seats. In other words, when the invite went out, everybody that was invited would sit around the table. But the amazing thing about the time and about the culture is that when the party was thrown like this, the only seats that were reserved were the seats around the table. They didn't need an invitation to come to the party unless you were coming to the table. They can come to the party, but they couldn't go to the people who had the personal invite at the table. Another interesting fact, anybody could show up at this party. They just couldn't show up at the table. When the community heard that Jesus was invited to Simon the Pharisee's house, everybody was excited. Jesus was going to be in Simon's house, and people began to fill the house. That's why this woman's story is so amazing. She heard about Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth that performs mighty miracles, and she comes to the Pharisee's house. The last house you would ever think a woman like this would come to, she comes. The Bible talked about this woman as being an immoral woman, a woman of, of the streets, if you will, a prostitute, many translations will say. She's in the house of the Pharisee, the religious promidants of their day. But the issue is this, if you were going to go to this man's party and you knew that Jesus was in the house, you could sit there or put your back against the wall, but you could not approach the table. You can only see it from a distance and be a spectator. You had to look at it from a outside kind of in in outside in a, a visual, and you couldn't partake of what they were saying. You could literally stand against the wall while everyone at the table was conversing. What this woman must have went through, however, to get to those final words where we hear Jesus say, "Your sins are forgiven." Go in peace. Something must have happened because here's this woman in this place. She can never get near he was because you can't do it. But the fact is when she hears it, she has a decision to make. What, what she wants to do is get to the feet of Jesus. Every guest that was there that was not invited to the table had to keep their back against the wall and they had to keep quiet. So that's literally where she was. She was viewing the whole dinner and and imagine in the theater of your mind, what must it have been like for her? Her back's against the wall. She's sitting there as a spectator against the wall. I'm a prostitute. Her clients may have been in the room. Who knows? I can guarantee you she was the most despised person in that room. Something drew her, however, to the most religious man's house that night. Something was there. In the midst of it, no matter what anybody would say, no matter how she was dressed, how she looked, what she smelled like, what her hair looked like, it didn't matter to her. She knew somebody was in that room that can save her life. Her back was against the wall. She had to make a choice and take a step. Does she make the step to the Lord or does she listen and walk away unchanged? Or does she go near where her life can be forever changed. Something had to overpower her to take that step and come to the feet 
of Jesus. Something had to draw her. I believe the drawing card is clear in the scriptures because if you read a few verses prior, we hear about this city by the name of Name, where this widow woman who had her only son and he had just died, he had died and she's walking down the street and they're having a funeral procession and there's a coffin with this dead boy in it and this widow woman is walking down the street in the city of name, walking in the coffin with their only son. And the Bible says something amazing. Jesus began to walk on the same road as the coffin was coming. Not a good thing for death when you have Jesus walking on the same road death is on. It's true. You're literally saying to myself, and I say to myself, how about if death could verbalize? If death could talk that day, and here's death, and this, and this thinking to itself, oh no, he did it to Lazarus, and I hear him, he's coming, he may do it to this boy. Can you imagine the scene in the heavenlies, the resurrection and the life, the most powerful force on the planet, the most powerful force in the universe is now confronting the most powerful force on the earth, death, the resurrection, and the life, they're about to collide. Can you imagine what's happening in the heavenlies when death is thinking to himself, maybe I can defeat him this time. Maybe I can hold on to this boy a little longer, but has no idea the one that he's about to face holds the keys of death and the grave. Hallelujah. Thank you for the applause. Notice I said applause and not applause because it was about two of you. But I'll keep preaching because I think you're not nicer than your applause are. The death is not independent from Jesus. What you need to know that today because here comes the coffin. The strongest power on the earth representing death. And the most strongest power in the universe representing the resurrection and the life. Who speaks the word and worlds become into existence. Who speaks the word and heavens start to declare his glory. Who does something that no one or nothing else can do, brings dead things back to life. They're about to clash. The one that holds the keys to death and the one that conquers death, he's in the house. This is Jesus. This is God walking, friends. This is not a Pharisee. This is not a prophet. This is God in the flesh, the resurrection and the life. He's walking and nothing can get him and everything he touches begins to change. He infects everybody with who he is. He infects everybody with who he is. Religion infects everybody also, but not in a way of people wanting it. Religion infects people by saying what you can't do, what you won't do, what we won't allow in, what we won't accept. Religion will get mad at you in church, kick you out of church, and then get mad that you left church. Oh, I'm preaching a lot better than you're letting on, but it's true. Religion will get upset because you don't look right, you don't act right, you don't speak right, and you're not giving right. And then as they kick you out of the church, they get mad that you left. That's religion. But Jesus starts to change everything. Jesus, what he touches, it begins to change because of who he is. Mark chapter 9, verse 1, the power of the Lord was present to heal all who were afflicted. The Bible says he touched them and healed them all. What I'm telling you today, there's no distance in prayer and there's no distance in his power. What Jesus has done, he can do. What he's done by the Sea of Galilee, he can do right here in this church today and watching by the way of the internet. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't God, isn't God good like? that he's the one 
He's the one when everybody says, don't touch the leper. He's the one touching leprosy. I love that. Can you imagine when he's holding on to the hand of the leper and people are saying, don't touch him. Don't touch him. He's contagious. Don't touch him. The leprosy will get on you. It's contagious. Can you imagine? Let's bring it to the heavenlies again. He's the one that touches everything and it changes. Leprosy goes, oh, another victim. And it starts to invade. And all of a sudden it realizes the hand that's on the leper can not be bypassed because this hand is God's hand. I can see that. I can see that. I can't get to this hand. And the virtue that's in this hand starts to get on that hand. And leprosy has to go because the power of the gospel is greater than anything that would come against it. I like that. Can you imagine the resurrection and the life when he comes in front of death? Oh, what death can do to a lost and hurting soul. But what it can do to a person who has the hope of Christ, it can change circumstances. If, if there's not a change, then there's no Jesus. If not death that gets the resurrection, it's the resurrection that takes over the death. This woman has to think to herself, if I can, if I can get to him, if he can raise the dead, then he can change me. If he can raise the dead, then he can help me. Something has to give her the courage to take that step and say, I can't do this anymore. I can't stay back here. I can't do the same old things I've been doing. Do I stand here so close to the one that defeats death, that defeats leprosy? Or do I, do I listen to my heart and take that step of faith and, and my whole life gets changed because of this event? Do I take the step? Do I stand here so close and do nothing about it? And then she does something that cost her her whole career. She literally does something that cost her her career. Remember what her career is now. It cost her something. I know how people, when they come to church, and what happens with single people when they come to church? You go to church, and the symbol of knowing if somebody is taken or not in, in this society and in church, you're looking if, if they have a ring finger on, right? I know how it works. You're looking if that person is single, ready to mingle. You're looking if they have a ring. Some of you are looking at me so holy. You know what's up. Some of you single people, the first thing you do when you come to our church, you say, is there a singles mission? Is there a singles ministry? That's your way of saying, your way of saying I want a Holy Ghost hookup. <laughs> Y'all don't have a singles ministry around here? I know how it works. And you're always wanting that right man of God, that right woman of God. Everybody wants the right man of God, the right woman of God in their life. And the symbol is, you know, to see if they're, if they're you know, taken. So what happens when single people come to church nowadays? What happens is they start worshiping the Lord in atmospheres like this, but they got one eye up and one eye over. And they see that person that they like. And so, you know, every Sunday they kind of kind of check it out. And they notice that the right hand is out too much. And they're looking for that left hand. So worship comes and all of a sudden they're like, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, oh, Jesus. Right hand, Jesus. No, left hand, Jesus. Left hand. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And they see the ring and they say, I rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> I know how it works. I know how it works. And what people are always hoping is that they find the right connection. They're finding the right connection. And that's our symbol of knowing if we're connected to something. Now think about this. The ring is the symbol if, if we know that somebody is available or not. 
It's important to know that because that ring is not in the first century at all. What happens if, if somebody is available or not, especially women, there were certain ways of modesty that they would present themselves. In this particular time and culture, if the woman was available, in other words, if she didn't have a man in her life, a father in her life, if she didn't have somebody there significant, she would wear her hair up as she walked through the marketplace. Now today, it's different. They wear their hair down as a sign of modesty, but back in those days, they wore their hair up as a sign of available. If, if they were available, they'd walk through the marketplace with their, with their hair up. It was a sign that there was availability there. So what would this woman go through? Think to yourself, when she comes where the Bible says, and she wipes his feet with her tears and begins to wipe them with the hair on her head. She wipes them because now she does something. She, she absolutely has a decision to make. And so she does something courageous. She no longer is available. She is if she pulls the tie out, the, raw, the rope out, the ribbon out, no, whatever it is, and she pulls it out of her hair and she's declaring something at that point. There'll never be another man in my life but one. There's only one in my life. There's something in here that says if I take this step. I'm going all the way with this thing. That's what Christians need to do. You need to take the step and go all in for the kingdom of God. Not partial way, not a little dab of do you, but go all in for the things of God. Because when you go all in, he gives you all of himself. She knows what it means for a man to pay for her. But she has no idea the price this man's willing to pay for her. And something begins in her to pull the ribbon out of her hair. And something in her says, I'm a taken person. I'm no longer giving myself up and available. I'm a, I'm a settled woman. I'm a taken woman. I have a life to live. This is the only man I'm going to give my life over to her. For her to pull that ribbon out is for her to literally say goodbye to the past. And that's what some of you need to do. You need to pull the ribbon out of your hair, figuratively, of course, pull it out of your hair and say goodbye to the past. No longer living with baggage of the things of the past. What do many people do? They give their life to the Lord. They make decisions to honor God, but they drag that past with them. Past hurts, past pains, past discouragement, past relationships that are crazy, ungodly, ridiculous, and absolutely have no business to be in your present or in your future. And you drag that old albatross of the past right into your present, and it distorts and destroys your future. What you and I need to learn to do is say goodbye to those things that are behind you and yes to the things that are ahead of you. Press on to the calling of God that's within you and be everything God God's created you to be. She says goodbye to the past and she welcomes in the only man she'll ever need again, the man, the Lord Jesus. This is the one that she takes the step for. This is the one I'll lay my hair down for. This is the one that will be my husband. This is something that she says to herself. This is the one I'm supposed to surrender to. This is the one that I'm supposed to give my life to. This is what I was created for. Not to stay on these streets. Not to stand on the streets. This is what I was created for. On May 18, 1997, the night that I gave my heart to the Lord. I had no religious upbringing. I had never been to a church in my life. I wasn't raised in any type of church. The only time I've ever been to church was when I was 22 years old on a night service in May 18th, 1997. And when I drove home in my car that evening, I got to tell you what went through my heart. 
I literally said before I ever spoke from a microphone, before I ever went into any public speaking and teaching and preaching, before I ever did anything for God of magnitude, I drove home that night and I said, Lord, this was what I was created for. This is what I was put on this earth for. It wasn't just preaching and teaching and starting things and and doing things. Because if you live by those things, if they do not work out and if they disappoint you, so will God. But that's not what I was created to do. Those are attributes of what God put in me. But I was created for so much more. I was created to live in him, to move in him, to have my life in him. I was created. I knew that night when I drove home, I said, this is what I was missing my whole life. This is what I was missing. I knew it, that this is what I longed for. I longed to have this in my heart. You see, some of you, you haven't longed because you're not saved. You haven't really accepted the Lord where you realize this is everything that I ever needed. So everything else is a great attribute and a great blessing. But this is what I needed. I needed him. I needed him. And this is what I was created for. You see, when that, when that gets in your spirit and gets in your heart, your life will never be the same. You were created to love him, to worship him, to live through him. That's what you were created to do. I read a story some time ago of a newspaper reporter. This was in the Wall Street Journal. And he noticed in the inner city there of New York City that boys were playing stickball in the inner city on the streets. And he referenced in the article on how the boys were using trash can lids as, as baseball bases and how they had a little red spalding ball to, to hit it out there. And they were playing baseball in the inner city and the unique things they were using to play the sport. And what the man went to reference in the article was the bat they were using. He referenced in the article on how they were using an old violin that one of the boys had found in the trash can. The violin had been missing its strings. The knobs on the top were broken off. It was kind of fractured and broken up. But they were using the skinny part as a handle, and the fat part, they were hitting that red spalding ball. And the article went on to say, what must the creator of the violin have thought if he would have saw the way those boys used the instrument that he had developed? The instrument that was created to fill music halls, the instrument that was created for people to study and to give their life to so they could use it as a great platform to bring joy to people. What must the creator have thought of when he, had, when he had saw it being used in the wrong way? The instrument that was to be held in the hands, the people that committed themselves, learning the art, praying, uh, playing it every day. What would the creator have thought of his investment? I thought about that article, and I think to myself today, and I say to you, what would the creator of the universe think of you? Your lives, your body, what you're making decisions on, what, what would he think of you? The creator of the universe who made you before your mother and father ever had a milkshake apart from one another with a single straw. Before you were ever a gleam in the eye of your daddy. God already knew you. He called you. He loved you. What must the creator think of the decisions that you're making? Because we surrender our lives so many times to the wrong things. It's like hitting little rubber balls when our life was meant for so much greater things. We're meant for so much more but we have to be put into the right hands 
Listen to me today. You have to put it in the right hands. Don't give your problems to people that cannot handle your problems. Don't give your words to people who do not honor your words. Don't give your life to people who do not care about your life. You have to put your life in the right hands, the hands of the creator. And that's what I believe today this woman was thinking. Do I go ahead and stop what I want to do? Do I take my hair down? Do I take the step? Do I go directly to him? And this is what happens. The Bible says, we read it, she begins to wipe his feet with her tears. Verse 38, and she stood at the feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed him with fragrant oil. Verse 44 says, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head. How does she do that? How much can a person cry? I have all girls at the house. You know, I'm the only amigo in the house. And when my girls were littler, let me tell you, they could cry. I mean, girls can cry. I mean, my youngest, she was a little, she's a little diva. She still is, but she would be like, Sissy, hit me! Ah! She hit herself. There's always were tears in the Stillman home. But do you know if you cried at the most you can cry, they tell us if you study it out, you can only cry one cc. That's not very much. So how does this woman literally wet the master's feet with her tears? I discovered it in Israel. I've had the privilege to go there many times. And what I discovered in Israel is the excavations of God's people are coming up. I used to read that scripture where it said, if you don't praise me, you know, Ray, the rocks would cry out and praise me. And I always had this vision of like a, a screaming rock. Like the rock is literally going to start screaming, Jesus is Lord. And then as I go to Israel every year and I keep reading articles, I realize that the rock is not doing this. But what's happening, archaeologists are finding one discovery after another that proves the validity and the proof of God's word. They just found the literally the, the, the pilgrim's road. That was where Jesus walked with the disciples to the temple. They found the entire road. They just found the city of Ziglag. This year, they just found the actual city of Ziglag in 2 Samuel where David lost it all. I mean, one discovery after another to prove the word of God was absolutely true and that Israel, they don't occupy the land. They own that land. The archaeologists, the rocks are crying out. And what they've discovered, and if you go to Israel, even today, they're in every store, every little shop. And what they have discovered in every burial ceremony, everyone from peasants to paupers to princes to the high echelon and the, the lowest of low, they found these little bottles in every tomb and coffin. They're, they're little tear bottles. They've, they've excavated them for hundreds and hundreds of years now. And what they were is in those days when people would have tragedy, they would literally, they would go somewhere and they would cry and they would collect those tears in the bottle. And then they would take the bottle of those tears and they would be buried with it. 
And so excavation, again, the rocks are crying out. They would find all these tear bottles all over Israel and Jerusalem. You can buy them today. They're not very expensive, very authentic, but these little bottles, the actual bottle is interesting because it has a little top on it and literally it collects them. And if that's true, and if that's the case, I think about that a lot because that bottle represented something. It would represent, if the, if the represented every hurt, if it represented every pain, if it represented every time she had been abused, every time she had been taken advantage of, every broken relationship, every lie, every time she had been hit, every physical abuse, every mental abuse, everything in that bottle that most of the people she knew in her society would take that bottle to the grave, they would take it to the tomb. That's why they excavated and they see the bottle where people have died, but not this woman. She doesn't do that. She won't take this thing to the grave. Now she has a choice. Back off the wall, take the step, hair down. I'm going to commit my life to him. I could see her looking at those tears and saying, I can't hold on to this anymore in my hands. I can't handle these things any longer. I can't take the pain and the memory that have caused me. And now she makes the choice. Hold on to those things close. Take them to the grave or take them to the only feet that can handle it. Friends, you know those feet. Those are not only nail scarred feet but they're the feet the Bible says that every enemy will be his footstool those are the precious feet of Jesus and those feet are not afraid of sickness those feet are not afraid of disease those feet are not afraid of poverty lack unbelief put them at the feet of Jesus it's those feet that are not afraid of a person here that has been abused and have been battered and have lost their loved ones not afraid to take the beauty for ashes not afraid to take the joy instead of the mourning these are the precious feet of Jesus that can crush anything that's brought to your life. It's those precious feet when you take the tears of depression and say, I can't do this anymore. It's those feet that crush every form of depression and you get infected with joy and peace like you've never known before. Nothing but the feet of Jesus will do for us. She bring those tears to the precious feet of Jesus. And friends, he knows what to do with them. No, he knows. This is a prostitute that leaves a transformed woman with the peace of Christ upon her. Can we stand together all over the building? Can we stand? This could be your life today, the peace of God upon you. It could be your life you know, we don't have tear bottles, obviously, in our hands or in our pockets. But there are people all over this room. And there are people listening by the way of the Internet. And you're thinking to yourself, I can't live with this thing any longer. I can't live with these tears. I can't live with this pain. I can't live with this anger anymore. I can't live with this regret and this bitterness. I can't live with the pain of this any longer. There are tears that have been cried. There are things that have been done. And that stuff happens because life has come. But like this woman, not because you've made bad decisions, but you have to take the step like she took it and say, I'm not leaving the same way. I'm not leaving the same way. She literally takes the step. And as simple as you take the step, your life can be forever changed because you take it to the feet of Jesus. 
and bring every tear of every disappointment, every bit of discouragement, every bit of depression, every bit of disease, every bit of lack, every bit of poverty. Take it to the only one that can handle it and can fix it and bring you peace. I'm here to tell you, he's waiting. He's as close as your next prayer. He's waiting for you. Take the step. You say, if people just knew, Joey, if people just knew, I hear that all the time. I, I hear it in, I mean, I, Jennifer added value. I go into department stores and, and supermarkets. I'd be praying for people in line, laying hands on them because people know who I am. And so I just, they just say, pray for me. And I just literally in the aisle, plop, plop. And what they usually say is, if people only knew. And I say, God knows. I don't need to know. I'm not a priest. Don't confess it to me. I can't help you. Only God can. You see, we can't fix anybody. I can't fix you. You're a mess. You're real bad, especially this side. I can't fix any of you. Only God can. All I can do with Jennifer and I in the ministry is add value to you and give you the right path to go to take it to the one who can. Heal you, provide for you, settle it in your heart, change you, deliver you, and free you. You take it to the feet of Jesus.